Okay, this morning, I want to talk to you about persistent faith. Persistent faith. And we're going to begin in Luke chapter 18. So if you have your Bibles, would you turn there or open your apps and let's actually read this together, if you will. Um, Really interesting parable that Jesus tells. The parable of the persistent widow. So uh, let me know when you found it. Say, got it. Who's still looking? (laughs) All right, Luke 18. We're going to start in verse 1. Then he spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart, saying, there was a certain city, sorry, there was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. Now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him saying, Get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, Though I do not fear God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Then the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge said. And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears along with them? I tell you, he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? What an interesting parable, and and we're going to unpack it. Uh, Firstly, I want to talk a little bit about prayer. Because that is the mandate that I feel God has put on my heart for this year. Prayer. Now, I don't know what comes to your mind when I say the word prayer. I don't know if it's the whole, "Mm, yeah, I probably should do that more often. Or if it's, uh, oh, I never know what to say. Or I don't have enough time. Or I wish I could just pray up a storm, but... I feel so inadequate. I don't know what comes to your mind when you think of prayer. But what an interesting parable for Jesus to talk about in relation to prayer. Here he's got a very persistent widow that comes to get justice. Now, what I find really fascinating, all right, is that this widow... um, knew her rights. She may not have been significant. She may have been the discarded of society. She may have been someone that nobody else really had a time of day for because she was just the widow. But something had been done to her that was unjust. And she knew that there was a judge who had the power to make it right for her. Now, This judge wasn't a God-fearing judge, didn't even care a hoot about people. So how do you like your chances for that? Go to court and there's someone, has no regard for God and not even any regard for man. He's there completely for himself. And yet this woman is not deterred by any of those things because she knows one thing, she has a right to justice and that judge has the power to give it. So what does she do? The judge gets in to his courtroom of a morning 
And there she is, waiting on the court steps. Oh, not again. I saw her yesterday. And the next day, who's there? Oh, hi, Judge. You remember me? Yes. You know that matter I was talking to you about? Yes. Well, have you fixed it yet? No. After a while, he decides, not because of anything the widow has done or anything uh, about her status in society or that she could bribe him, but it's for his own sanity, he decides, I'm going to fix her problem. And he grants her justice. Now, what an interesting thing to say. Why is Jesus saying all this when it comes to prayer? He wants to give us such a stark contrast that we really begin to grasp the nature of our God, the judge of all judges, the righteous judge. So he says, if that's what the unjust judge said, shall not God avenge his own who cry out day and night to him, though he bears along with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Jesus is talking about a speedy answer to prayer that comes in a similar way to this widow's answer to her injustice. What did she do? She came boldly. She came boldly. Let's have a look. You might know this uh, a verse um, off by heart. But we are told to come boldly to the throne of grace in Hebrews, aren't we? To find grace to help in time of need. And before that, it's talking about Jesus as our high priest. So why can we come boldly before the judge of all the earth? You know, I think what often happens with prayer is that we first rule out our um, worthiness to receive the answer. Satan would like us to be convinced that we have to do a little bit more or be a little bit better or be, you know, a little bit more into the word, a little bit more something in order for God to hear our prayer. But you see, Jesus has made a way for us to come unashamed boldly before the throne of grace because of what he has done for us. He has cleansed us. He has made us righteous. He has put us in a position where we can stand boldly before the judge of all the earth and he can hear our case. Now, it says that he will avenge them speedily. But then he has an interesting comment, which we're going to unpack further. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? Okay, back to the part about being avenged speedily. I want to tell you um, a little bit more about prayer before we move on. So if you could turn with me to James chapter 5 and verse 16. James... Sorry, got these fine pages in my new Bible. All right, many of you will know this passage, but let's have a look at it a little bit fresh, and I want to actually read it to you from the Amplified Bible, but I'll read it first in the New King James. So, James chapter 5 
and verse 16. Confess your trespass to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Okay, when you pray, tell me who has an earnest expectation that they've, number one, been heard, and number two, they are assured that God is on the case. Do you feel like that when you pray? That's the way we're supposed to feel, but how can we have that confidence? Let me get this, as I said, in um, the Amplified. Chapter 5, 16. All right. Listen to this. Confess to one another, therefore, your faults, your slips, your false steps, your offences, your sins. And pray also for one another that you may be healed and restored to a spiritual tone of mind and heart. The earnest, heartfelt, continued prayer of a righteous man makes tremendous power available, dynamic in its working. Wow. I love that. There's a little word in there, the earnest, heartfelt, continued prayer. This is what happened with this widow. She wouldn't take no for an answer. She continued. Now, just because we can't see what's happening doesn't mean something's not happening. And it doesn't mean that we should give up. It means that we should continue because we serve an unfailing God. This prayer, it says, of a righteous man makes tremendous power available, dynamic in its working. I'm going to tell you what happened to me yesterday. I came down to do all the dishes from youth group and kids club um, that were left here from Friday. I came down in the morning and I was in the kitchen and I was doing the dishes I literally felt something come over me and I began to feel really, really, really unwell. And um, by the time I got home, I was not in a good way. Not only was I feeling really unwell, I wasn't feeling anything like myself. How grumpy was I yesterday, huh? This is a trick question. (laughs) Scale of one to ten. Uh, Yeah, I, I want a second opinion. Should I ask the children? (laughs) Okay. I had not just a short fuse. I had no fuse. I mean, the dog only had to look sideways at me. I'm like, what are you doing? I mean, I I didn't recognise myself. I was so out of sorts and so unwell. And I had so much to do and I felt so incapable of doing it. And... um, really like flu kind of symptoms and just um, <sighs> battling, just, just struggling and not getting anywhere. Anyway, by the time the kids had fallen asleep and I had a bit of time to myself, I sat down and I said to the Lord, okay, what's really going on here? And he sort of showed me a little glimpse of the spirit realm. And that point where I was in the kitchen, literally a spirit of heaviness had attacked me. And um, I had not realised, sort of trying to fight things um, on a natural level, 
um, just sort of thinking, oh, I'm just run down, I'm just, you know, whatever. But no, I was really being attacked spiritually. And when the Lord showed me it was a spirit of heaviness, I said, Father God, I just want to thank you that you are my source of everything. You are the one who loves me. I'm just going to choose to put on joy right now and rejoice and just love you and praise you because you love me. And I just thank you for helping me right now. Just take these symptoms, take my grumpiness. I don't want it. I just want to be in your joy. And within the space of maybe less than half an hour, probably 15 minutes, something literally lifted off of me. I began to feel better. Progressively, as the night went on, I got better and better. My throat stopped aching. The aches and pains and sweats and fevers started to leave. Um, my joy was back. I wasn't grumpy. I got my son up to use the bathroom and um, I was able to be patient and kind in the middle of the night. I tell you what, there's something about effective prayer. You know what? Earnest, heartfelt, continued prayer of a righteous man makes tremendous power available. It's not hard. I think that's the thing. Sometimes we think prayer is really hard or that someone else could do a better job of it. But if God has put something in your heart to pray for, you are the exact one to do the best job of it because he's prodding you to pray. You don't have to know all the right words to say. You just have to be obedient and allow the Holy Spirit to lead you. And he will. He will lead you in powerful prayer. I was reading a, an account of um, some persecuted Christians uh, in other countries. Uh, this one was Pakistan, of a 14-year-old girl kidnapped from her home and forced to marry a Muslim man and convert um, to Islam. And the parents are desperately trying to get her back, trying to get the marriage annulled, but the high court is extremely corrupt and they're saying that uh, she signed a statement saying that it was of her own free will that she got married and all of this stuff. It's so unjust and I was, you know, so upset reading it. And the Lord just said to me, pray for her. And, you, you know, sometimes you're like, but they're in another country and this is a system much bigger than one person and how can my little prayer do anything? But the Bible says that it makes tremendous power available when a righteous person prays. And so I began to pray for her and I began to feel instead of um, hopeless, I began to feel hopeful that there's going to come a time soon that I'm going to read in the same newspaper that this girl has been set free and set a whole new president because God is on the throne. And he says that like that widow, we can come and boldly make our request known. We don't have to be timid or afraid. We can be bold in our approach to the Lord. Uh, this one came up in my Bible app in the daily verse. Jeremiah 17, 17 says, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is in the Lord. I'm going to read you this one also from the Amplified. I've been getting so much out of the Amplified the last few days. So Jeremiah 17, 7. Listen to this. 
Most blessed is the man who believes in, trusts in and relies on the Lord and whose hope and confidence the Lord is. You see, when I come to God in prayer, I'm not confident in my ability to pray. I'm not confident in my ability to get it all right. I'm not confident in my ability to be perfectly pleasing to God, but I am confident in Jesus' ability to stand before the Father as my representative. And I am confident that whatever he asks the Father, it will be given to him. And I am confident that Jesus' work on the cross is enough for me. I can stand in confidence and put my complete trust in the Lord. And it says, most blessed is the man who believes in and puts their complete trust in the Lord. Not in a justice system on earth, not in, you know, medication or drugs available. Look, I've got to tell you, yesterday when I was so mentally and emotionally attacked, it really gave me empathy for people who are struggling with mental illnesses. But it also showed me something. There is nothing greater than our God. So don't be afraid to pray for something that you think is really hard because there's no scale with the Lord. He doesn't go, well, that one's big. I'll put that in the to-do list for tomorrow. Uh, And that one's small. I'll just deal with it now. You know, nothing is too big or small for God. Our perspective is definitely not his perspective. I love that. Tremendous power is available, dynamic in its working. All right, Luke 18. I'm going to go back there if you're still there. Um, We're going to have a look specifically at verse 8. And um, Luke 18. Again, I'm just going to read verse 8 from the Amplified. It adds one little word in there. I tell you, he will defend and protect and avenge them speedily. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find persistence in faith on the earth? Two things are very sure when I read this verse. Number one, as Josh said before, when he comes. It's not a question of if Jesus will come, but when. I am so happy to tell you that I believe this entire book in its entirety and I believe it literally as the Word of God. I don't believe that any of this is sort of some way just poetic sounding good stuff that doesn't really have any literal value. Um, That would be like if I was to write a letter to someone and I was to put a lot of detail about my life, you know, things that I've been doing, uh, some plans that I've got for the future and that kind of stuff. And the friend that I wrote the letter to read it and said, oh, it's just all metaphorical. Um, you know, she, she doesn't really mean any of this, but wasn't that a lovely sounding letter? You know what I'd say? You're not much of a friend. You don't know me. I'm not writing you a bunch of hogwash. I'm writing to you a true account of what I've been going through and what's happening, right? Well, God didn't write us a bunch of hogwash and go, I'll filter through it and find if you can believe some parts of it. He, he wrote us the true account. And we can believe every word. This is truth. And he says here that he's coming again. When he comes, will he find persistence in faith on the earth? And he leaves the question hanging. Can you imagine the people who are, who he's telling the parable to? 
you know, like that awkward silence moment where it's like, <laughs> what, what, is he, what is he getting at when he comes? We, um, at, at that funeral on Friday, they read this beautiful scripture that I love in John 14, 1 to 3. And uh, it talks about Jesus saying, don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe in me also. In my Father's house are many rooms, many mansions. And I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where you are, that where I am, you may be also. You see, Jesus is longing for the day when he can come and take us all. Now, I don't know if you've ever like rearranged a room in your house or organised a surprise or something and you can't wait for your spouse to come home to show them what you've done. It's like, oh, look, I can imagine Jesus' excitement right now in heaven. It's looking good up there, <laughs> really good. The renovations are second to none. Um, it's amazing. And I can imagine he is so excited for the day when he can bring us and say, what do you think? Check it out. Isn't it awesome? That one, that's your home. Oh, my goodness. And, you know, he knows you better than anybody else. He knows your taste, your likes, your dislikes, your quirkiness, what shape you like. Mine's going to all be symmetrical, I can tell you now. Can't handle this off-centred stuff. Um, but he knows us and he knows what would delight us and it delights him to prepare a place that would delight us. You know, he loves us. He loves us so much. And it says, I will come again and receive you. Then in Matthew 24, he tells us some clues, some big signs, some neon lights almost of things that we can look at to know he's about finished up there and he's coming back. We're just going to have a quick look at them because I, I feel led to um, share some things with you this morning to do with current events, what's happening around us. So Matthew 24, I'm going to pick up in verse 3. Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives... The disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, I'm not telling you. Is that what it says? No. <laughs> that was uh, my, my little insert. It's not what it says at all. Jesus answered them and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you. I've got to tell you something. I've been astounded how many wonderful Christians that I know, some of them have impacted my life greatly, who are no longer following the way of truth. And it grieves my heart. How can it be? Well, the thing about deception is it's rather deceiving. Okay? And sometimes you don't know you're being hoodwinked because it's subtle. All right? Now, if you think about it, if I wanted to trick someone, the whole purpose of a trick is that it appears real, 
right? And they don't know till later that you've tricked them. Like when I went on school camps and we put all the Vaseline on the door handles. It looked like a normal handle <laughs> till you touch it. I won't tell you some of the other tricks we did. It's not appropriate for in church. But, um, you know, yeah, I wasn't going to go there, but yeah. Um, so, you know, there's these tricks and everything appears to be in order, but it's not. And this is what Jesus is saying. The first thing you need to look out before I come, don't let anyone deceive you. There's some really dodgy doctrine out there. I've had someone say to me once, I don't really care what that church believes. I just go for the music. Well, can anyone see a problem with that? You see, the problem is what you believe affects who you put your trust in. And who you put your trust in affects where you spend eternity. Doctrine really matters. One pastor told my sister once when she confronted him on some of his teaching. She said, where is that in the Bible? He said, oh, I don't really have anywhere in the Bible, but I've got a lot of books about it at home. You're welcome to read. I don't want man's opinion. <laughs> if it's not in here, I'm not interested. It's got to be the real deal. And, you know, I believe the way we not get deceived is actually know what's written in here. I also had someone once tell me of this massive vision and revelation that they received. They felt they received it from God, but it went against the very first few chapters in the book of, the, of, of Genesis. And when I said, hey, that's not what the Bible says, they got really offended. Well, I know what God showed me. But God is not going to show you something that's different to his word. He doesn't forget what he says. Actually, my children tend to make sure I don't forget what I said either, you know. <laughs> Unless it's like no more iPad today. Oh, they forget that one really quick. But, but if I tell them I'm going to do something, they are really good at remembering. Well, God never forgets what he said. His word is eternal. It will never pass away. So take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. You know, because that word Christ is not translated for us, we probably think, well, we haven't seen many people getting around saying, I am the Christ, worship me, I am your saviour. Well, what does Christ mean if it was to be literally translated Messiah or the anointed one? Now, that puts a different light on it. How many have you seen that come and claim to be anointed? There's a lot. In fact, some of them are really convincing because they have signs and wonders. But are they glorifying the true Messiah or are they building their own kingdom? So have a look. You'll know them by their fruits. I don't believe that means by miracles. You'll know them by their fruits of the Spirit. You know, you can have wonderful ministry and be a really rotten person. <laughs> what people don't see behind closed doors. All right. It says that they will deceive many. But thank God they will not deceive us because we will stay in the Word. Amen? 
And you will hear of wars and rumours of wars. Now, I don't know if it's just because there's more ability to receive information that we hear of even more and more rumours of war and wars these days, or if it literally is speeding up. But every other day, there's some other person angry at some other person and someone else is going to take someone else out and wipe them off the planet and just you wait. Oh my, what a day to be alive. And I just love what Jesus says next. See that you're not troubled. (laughs) Hey, they just threatened to blow me up. Oh, don't be troubled. (laughs) He knows us well, doesn't he? That... Okay, we're going to read through this, but don't panic. This is all part of the plan. All these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines, pestilences and earthquakes in various places. And all these are the beginning of sorrows. The literal translation there is the beginning of birth pangs. Now, I remember when I had birth pangs. And I remember getting to a point of going, I've changed my mind. I don't want to do this now. I had a very rude awakening. There is no reversing. (laughs) When baby is coming, I'm sorry, it's coming, (laughs) ready or not. And... So this, Jesus is giving us a very big hint. When you start to see all these things happening, that's the birth pangs. Labor's coming. It's not going to change. It's not going to get better. It's not going to go back. It's going to actually intensify. Because until that baby's born, those pains come faster and faster and faster. But I want to go back to verse 7 before I continue on about the pestilences. Any of you heard anything kind of remotely like that in the news lately? Like, does it kind of ring a bell, something about some coronavirus sort of thing? I was trying to remember the name one day and they said, someone said to me, you know, it's uh, that, that beer. I said, oh, corona, yeah, okay. That's a way to remember it. Coronavirus. All right, we're seeing it literally plaguing. But Jesus said... See that you are not troubled. Well, how could he say that? I I want you to go to Psalm 91 with me, and we'll come back to Matthew 24. But I was looking at this for a long time last night. Sometimes God will really alert me to something, and I seek it out until I get an understanding. Now, Psalm 90 the one before Psalm 91, obviously, begins a new book of Psalms, book four, actually. Book four of Psalms is Psalm 90 to Psalm 106. And what caught my eye was that Psalm 90 is a prayer of Moses, the man of God. We, we generally think of the Psalms as being written by David or the sons of Korah. But right in the middle of all these Psalms is a Psalm that's a prayer of Moses. So this is like ancient. I think that qualifies for being ancient because he was like thousands of years ago. And then after Psalm 90 is Psalm 91. And I began to go through 
and see when was the next time it said that it was a psalm of David. And it was quite a while. And then I began to look at each psalm and see if I could find similar wording. And I kind of could trace back right to Psalm 92, the wording matched David's. But Psalm 91, well, Psalm 90, the prayer of Moses, starts like this. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Psalm 91 starts like this. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Does that sound similar? I began to wonder and I began to research and there's a lot of people like, we can't know for sure, but there's a lot of people who say they do believe Psalm 91 was written by Moses. Now, what difference does it make? It's the inspired word of God, right? But here's something interesting. You think about what Moses and the people of Israel witnessed in Egypt before they left. And as I read, tell me if you see some similarities. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress. My God in him I will trust. Surely he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you will take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and small shield. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Only with your eyes shall you look and see the reward of the wicked. We'll keep going. Because you have made the Lord who is my refuge, even the most high your dwelling place, no evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. Are you seeing something here? What did they witness? Did they witness darkness in the middle of the day? On the land of Egypt, yes, the land of Goshen was in light. Did they see terror by night? What was the last plague? The angel of death in the middle of the night. But none of it came near them. Did they see pestilence? Absolutely. There were all manner of plagues that were put upon the Egyptians. And yet, we read, after the first three plagues, none of them were experienced by the children of Israel. I believe the only reason they experienced the first three plagues was because they were not yet abiding in the secret place. He wanted to show his people that he was much bigger than all of the Egyptian gods and that they could put their trust in him. All right, I want to show you this from the Amplified. As I said, into the Amplified at the moment. All right, so Psalm 91. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall remain stable and fixed under the shadow of the Almighty, whose power no foe can withstand. 
If Moses did indeed write this, I wonder at what point he wrote it. I wonder if it was after dwelling in the desert where they remained under the shadow of the cloud by day and the fiery cloud by night. Fixed and stable under the shadow of the Almighty. That was their position even in the desert. And what did they see? Whose power no foe can withstand. Not Pharaoh, not his chariots, not his armies. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God. On him I lean and rely and in him I confidently trust. For then he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. Can I say God has not given us a spirit of fear? And even though this is one of the signs that Jesus said would be evidence that he's coming, he also said, don't be troubled. Why? Because he will deliver you from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you shall trust and find refuge. His truth and his faithfulness are a shield and a buckler. You shall not be afraid of the terror of the night, nor of the arrow, and it's described here what that arrow means, the evil plots and slanders of the wicked that flies by day. How much of that do we see in the newspapers all around the world? The evil plots and slanders of the wicked, those arrows going out. And yet, we don't even need to fear that. Speaking of that kind of thing, and this is another sign that we will get to, um, I was going to read you, if I can get it up without it being silly. Oh, no, here it is. Something from the London Times. The London Times says, Embracing traditional gender roles is a form of ISIS-style extremism. The London Times has become the latest media outlet to suggest that embracing traditional gender roles is a form of extremism. With an article that claims so-called trad wives, which is just a normal wife who feels that she can submit to her husband, that they are on par with ISIS brides. Can you believe this? Ebner works for the Institute of Strategic Dialogue, a think tank, tank sorry, that partners with national governments, Google and others, to counter hate and extremism in the UK. Apparently, women who choose to be subservient to men in the framework of a traditional marriage now represent an extremist movement. Can you believe that? <laughs> so, and it goes on now saying that that kind of relationship is literal white supremacist propaganda. Unbelievable. And yet this is exactly what Jesus said it would look like before he'd come back. And the arrow that flies by day is these words of the wicked. If that isn't words of the wicked, I don't know what is. But even that, he promises he will deliver us. We just need to stay to the truth and God will do the rest. Amen. The evil plots and slanders of the wicked that fly by day, it says you will not be afraid of them. Nor of the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor of the destruction and sudden death that surprise and lay waste at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, 
but it shall not come near you. You know, in Wuhan, in um, China, where this coronavirus broke out, there are such severe restrictions that nobody is out on the streets except believers. Open Doors published a report that Christians for the first time ever in China have free reign to share the gospel because they're the only ones brave enough to go out where there's a virus and tell people about Jesus. You see, it will not come near you, but you can be used to bring light to someone in darkness. Oh, I love it. He will give his angels a special charge over you to accompany and defend and preserve you in all your ways of obedience and service. They shall bear you up in their hands lest you dash your foot against a stone. You will tread upon the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you shall trample underfoot. Do you know what God spoke to me about that verse last night when he was setting me free of this spirit of heaviness? He said to me, the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent, that is like political systems and spiritual strongholds. But it doesn't affect you. I don't care what the government says. They are not the highest law. God is the highest law. And he is saying that we are protected even in the midst of an ungodly system that wants to trample us. But this says, no, you will trample them. That remains under your feet. And he shall call upon me, oh sorry, because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he knows and understands my name, has personal knowledge of my mercy, love and kindness. Trust and relies on me, knowing I will never forsake him. No, never. Isn't that beautiful? He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honour him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. So when Jesus said, don't be troubled, he said it for good reason. He is our refuge. And even though we see these things coming about, there needs not be any fear in our heart, but just excitement that this is what he said it would be like, and it means he's coming again. Let me finish off these last few things. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. You'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. If you've noticed, you can be any other religion in the world, but if you're Christian, you're despised. Why? Because it's only the truth that offends. Hey, Then many will be offended and will betray one another and will hate one another and many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. I said to you earlier that I have seen, unfortunately, some of that happening. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. And then the end will come. I want to finish with this thought. In verse 32, Jesus says, Now learn the parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. 
So you also, when you see all these things, know that it is near at the doors. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. I firmly believe this is, we are living in the generation that will see these things happen. The reason I believe that is because before that, Jesus likened this generation to the fig tree. We see in Hosea 9.10, God calls Israel a fig tree. He said, I saw your fathers as the first fruits on a fig tree. In Joel 1.7, he talks about he has laid waste my vine, capital M, and ruined my fig tree. He's talking about a nation describing the nation of Israel as a fig tree. Jeremiah 24, he talks about the people, the remnant from Judah, that they are like good figs that he will one day bring again into their land. So knowing that he's talking about the nation of Israel because he used the fig tree, he said when it puts forth its leaves, well, you know, for literally thousands of years, Israel, the actual physical ground of Israel, was completely barren. The Ottoman Empire tried everything and could grow nothing there. They said, who would want this place? It was desert. But in 1948, when Israel became a nation in one day, just as was prophesied, in 1948, they began to plant trees and those trees grew. And I've been to Israel and I can tell you there is vegetation everywhere. It's incredible. It's a miracle. I'm driving around thinking, I think these people are so used to this now, they don't understand the miracle of what we're looking at. Nothing grew there for thousands of years until Israel returned and like the fig tree, she has put forth her leaves and it's green. Assuredly, Jesus said, I tell you, this generation will by no means pass away. Well, how long is a generation? Again, in Psalm 90, that prayer of Moses, he says, men's days... Uh, three score and ten, which is 70 years, but if by strength they be 80. So he describes a generation as no more than 80 years. Well, if we look at it, 1948 to where we are now, we're 72 years. This generation will by no means pass away. Is the Lord coming? Yes. He gives us the signs. But what's he telling us in this time? Pray. Because your prayer is tremendously powerful and effective. And don't be afraid. Because the Lord is with you. He is your refuge. He is your portion. And I believe we need to stay in the word of God. So we're not deceived. And you know what? I can't wait for that day when he comes. If, if, if I think I'm excited, I know he's so much more excited. Because... For some strange reason, he loves to hang out with all of us, <laughs> flaws and all, but he loves us with an everlasting love. Amen. Would you stand to your feet with me this morning? I just want to pray for you, but as always, I want to give opportunity. If there's any in the room today, and uh, your eternity isn't a settled matter for you. You're not sure where you're going. These signs might be troubling you. If that's you, 
that I want to give you an opportunity this morning to get right with God so that you can come boldly before His throne of grace and find help in your time of need. He wants you to make the Lord your refuge. Don't let it just be head knowledge. It's got to go to your heart.